about the financial aspect of it as well, just the recruitment process alone, yeah. like the expectation of the appearance, like hair, makeup. Some girls waking up at like 4.35 in the morning every day just to prep themselves to get ready. I'm not sure what it was like from the, the male perspective um, of fraternities. It but. was not like that at all. <laughs> we were like, so. be here at this time. We're like, okay. Sure. <laughs> back to the Chronically on Campus podcast. I'm Catherine Ramsey. And I'm Will Emmert. And today we have a very exciting episode. We're going to be talking about, drumroll please, <gasps> Greek life. life. Yeah, it is a, a bit of a hot topic, I guess, uh, in terms hot of- Hot topic. <laughs> a hot topic in the college dialogue. Um, sometimes it's controversial. It might be, there's a lot of stigma, I think, around Greek life in general. Um, but we're really excited to kind of take a deeper dive into it. We are also so excited to welcome our good friend to the show, Adelaide Viasana. Uh, we are so excited to share our conversation uh, with her, uh, our conversation with her with you about Greek life. She's a recent grad of SMU who went through the recruitment and Greek life process, and now she's on the outside of it. And it was great to hear her perspective yeah. on on what it's like and her reflections on it, on her time in it, and how it's benefited her post-grad. Um, and kind of changing the narrative, I guess, is really important. I think um, we hear a lot in mainstream media about the negatives of Greek life, and it's important to also remember that it's designed with a positive impact in mind. So, right. yeah. Catherine, how was... <laughs> this is foolish. Catherine, how was your spring break? Yeah, we just got back from spring break. It's the last day of break for us at the time of recording this. My break was really fun. I got to go home to, to Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> I've actually never seen that. <gasps> I was in it. I was in it here. Oh, wow. You didn't we come didn't, see it? I didn't know that. That's literally so rude. That's actually, yeah, I'm upset that I didn't as a Chicagoan. That makes me really sad. This is where, like, the sad music Remember starts. when we were supposed to go to New York for break? I know. And then we were like, that's going to be way so too much expensive. money. And I'm like, I didn't want to buy a plane ticket to go to Chicago. What? They were, I mean, I have to do that all the time to go home. But yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sitting yeah. abroad, though. I'm saving up. I've got to save my dollars. Yes. You've got some great travel planned. We'll talk about that in the Oh, my a goodness. We totally should. Yeah. How was your break, though? My break was good. So basically, I worked here. I worked in admissions for the first couple of days to get money. And also, you know, I had nothing better to do. I was like, let I me just work. I hope you rested, though. Oh, yeah. And then I went home. And then... Is work, like, fun for you, though? Because you get to be with Ryan and I Susie do. every day. I love... It's a fun team. Specifically Susie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love all of them. It was. But we had a lot of admits. Like, we just released a bunch of admits to Meadows. And so we had a lot of people to get together and we had to film videos well oh. all of the ambassadors film videos for the students that are incoming Aww. i'll give you an example it's like hey Catherine, congratulations on your dual admit to smu and meadows we're so so excited for you um if you haven't had an opportunity to come and visit definitely come to one of our dsmu events an info session tour anything that fits into your schedule we would love to have you on campus and then we talk about like our experience and then we relate to them and then we send a little video message 
That's so cute. Isn't that cute? That's so nice. But anyway, we have like 190 to do now. So. Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, we had so many people apply for music. Yeah, we had a lot. Lots of auditionees. But anyway, so then I went home and then I hung out with my family, lots of good meals. I went shopping, went What'd to the you buy? malls. Here's what I bought. Let's give an audio haul, please. So I honestly did really well because, you know, when you're like in the mood to just spend a lot of money. I, I guess. was in that mood. <laughs> I was like, I'm in the mood to spend hundreds. Oh, no. But I didn't. I spent a hundred dollars. That's a good amount. I know. I got two new you pairs of shorts. Two shorts from where? Two new pairs of shorts from J. Crew. Oh. Shout out to J. Crew. Now here's the thing. For those of you that don't know, you can get a student discount from there. Wait, I didn't know that. Yeah, Please like you me. literally go and you say, I'm a student, and they ask like to see your SMU ID, and they'll be like, mm, 15% off. Oh, wow, that's um, a lot. But I also like went to Outlet Mall, so there was already all these sales going oh. on. So I got two new pairs of shorts, and then I just happened to go into New Balance, which was my fault. Uh-oh. And I found a pair of shoes, and I was like, Shoes are kind of my downfall, Catherine. The okay. thing is, is like... Are you a sneakerhead? Mm-hmm. Oh. And they're all white sneakers. Like, literally, I have so many pairs of white sneakers. I have other shoes, too. But I just... I don't know. There's something about a new pair of shoes that just makes you feel like you really can go out into the world and just conquer everything. And I found this Thanks. pair of shoes and was like, they're on sale. They're, like, gray-ish. And then they have, like, an orange New Balance logo. I'm like, summer. But they were only 50 bucks. Wow. So I was like, sure. What? Why sure, not? Yeah. Why not? So I got those. Everything else was kind of a bust, though, on the shopping. And then I just kind of hung around, napped a lot, caught up on some TV shows. Nice. What shows? What are you watching um, right I'm now? I'm currently watching Upload. Oh, I re- I just heard about that like okay. today from somebody. Really? It's by <laughs> another excuse for me to bring up Greg Daniels, but let me just <laughs> go ahead and bring him up again. Um, but yes, it's by Greg Daniels. It's very similar if you've seen The Good Place. Yes. It's not similar, but it's like it takes place in like an afterlife. Basically, the premise is they found a way to upload your soul to like this virtual reality heaven before you die. Oh, interesting. So you can still like communicate with basically you can still communicate with whoever's dead, but they just like exist in like a computer basically but it's like all virtual reality so you can like put on a vr headset and then go and be in heaven basically and like talk to the people that just died it's kind of crazy i've only seen like half of the first season but so far i'm loving it it's not like new or anything but it's great so highly recommend are I- you are you watching ted lasso Catherine, i'm not what okay Catherine, no. the thing uh-huh. is it's been on my list ted lasso is like my favorite show right now huge plug for the Ted Lasso series. Season three just came out and it is just, the show is so well written and they really complete like every single story arc possible in that show. It's so satisfying. And now they're bringing it full circle with the last season. And I'm really excited about it. Oh, it's three seasons. Yes. Or it's supposed to be, I think. I feel like I can get through that quickly. They just started season three. I'll watch it. Um, and the it's on my list. They're like half an hour. Each I have this thing where it's like I try not to start another show unless I finish what I'm watching. That's nice. Just because if I start watching something else, I'm going to get into that and then never finish the other thing. And then I'm going to get into something mm-hmm. new and never finish that. And I try to just like really stick it through because the thing with TV is that it's really hard to get into something new. 
you start watching it and you're just like, ugh, I need to get to the point where I understand the characters and I know the characters and I can feel for them. And that's the thing with TV where it's like with movies, I love movies. I'm probably more of a movies person than a television person. With movies, it's like three hours in and out. You learn so much, blah, blah, blah. So I really try to stick it through with TV shows, at least for a season. If I'm not feeling it after a season, there's no harm in moving on. There's no harm. Yeah. There's no harm. But anyways, that was my break. That's so nice. I didn't do as much shopping. I mean, I guess like I went out to dinner a lot when I was home. I got a haircut over break. (gasps) It looks great. I was literally about to be like, there's something different about you. I did my hair today. Just I was I had so much extra time because it's break, so I just decided to learn. Sounds like we have a spring photo shoot coming soon. Oh, perhaps (laughs) we can do one for every season because we did winter in January. (gasps) We did. We did headshots in winter. Now we could do spring. We We could have like our collection. We could do them in the same spot every time. That would be fun. Actually, that's cute. Would you also like to go to the botanical gardens? I've never been to the botanical gardens. The Dallas Arboretum. Never been. It's beautiful. We should go. We should go. We Don't should you take have pictures. to pay to take photos there, though? So only if you're, like, a professional photographer that's there. Like, you have to get a photo pass if you're bringing in a professional photographer. But we could just go. Like, just us. I know Catherine and I definitely learned a lot about Greek life and about the stigmas that surround it um, and talking to Adelaide, and we hope that you do, too. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. <laughs> Welcome to this special interview. We're so excited to have Adelaide Viasana on the podcast today. Hello. Hello. It's so good to be here. I'm so excited. We're so happy to have you. So why don't we get started just so everyone can introduce, you can introduce yourself to everyone, like who you are, when you graduated, yeah, kind of what you do. So my name is Adelaide Viasana. I graduated from SMU in May of 2022. I was here for all four years. I was in a sorority here on campus. I also had several different other leadership positions and jobs. I know SMU pretty well, but I, again, I graduated in post-grad, living the life off campus, chronically off campus at this point, <laughs> unfortunately. But yeah, here, ready to talk, ready to answer some questions. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so because we know how much Greek life is a part of the SMU college experience. And Mm -hmm. I think especially at a lot of maybe like state schools or uh, larger universities have kind of a similar uh, social presence of Greek life on their campus. Neither of us are involved in Greek life. Well, you did. You went through the rush process. I did. My freshman year decided to rush. And then like as I was going through the pledge process, I was like, this is not really for me. Like the time commitment it's a huge time commitment and it's not for everyone. And I kind of was just like, if I don't do it, I'll, I won't know if I, you know, what would have been. So, but yes, we're excited to hear about your experience with that. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your rush experience, like from yeah. the beginning? Cause I did, you delayed. Right? I did. Yeah. I did. So at SMU, it is delayed already. So a lot of other campuses, they will start the recruitment process, which that's a, another thing. Before we even get into it, there's, do you call it rush? Do you call it recruitment? Officially, it's technically recruitment. Informally, it's called rush. I always called it rush. But then you get into a place where you're like, oh, you have to call it recruitment. And it's very serious. But I went through the recruitment process my sophomore year. So most campuses will start it 
the first week, right before the first week of school in August before your freshman year. SMU specifically does a delayed rush where they start the first week, maybe second week of January when you're coming back from winter break. And most people do that as a freshman. I did that delayed start rush in January of my sophomore year. So I kind of spent some more time around the campus figuring out if this is something I wanted to do before actually getting into the actual process of it. But again, I was a bit, I was on the older side. I was 19 when I did it. So geriatric really, you know, (laughs) but it was a, it was an interesting experience. I am so glad that I did it to have that life experience. I think I would still do it again as, as I am now, I would go through it again if I was, you know, 19, but it's very overwhelming. There's a lot that happens in that week. I mean, it's five days of constant going everybody gets sick after. (laughs) I was bedridden for the weekend afterwards, for sure. I've heard it described as everyone's favorite thing that they never want to do again. That is a great great way to put it. But the basic setup of it is on SMU's campus, when I was going through recruitment, there were eight houses, eight sororities that you every day would go to in some form or fashion. So there's different days. The first day is the open house um, and they progress from there. But on open house day, you go to all eight houses and you meet um, women in all these different organizations and try to see if this is a place for you, this is a place for them to accept you. And then as the week goes on, you drop houses. So like you are inputting in a list houses that you don't think that you want to go back to. Um, And in the same fashion, the houses are putting girls that they want to drop um, on a list. And there's this whole technical system, you know, 21st century magic that it all goes into a computer. And the next day you get a schedule based on what houses you said you wanted to go back to, what houses asked you back. So again, very technical. And that that part of the rush process is really interesting because you are not supposed to talk about it. You, It is, it is a 100% silent thing when you get your schedule, what houses you like, what houses you're thinking about. You do not talk to anybody about it in those five days, which makes it very isolating also. So you're going through this huge experience and these there are all these things you've never done before, all these things you've never had to think about, and you don't really have anyone to talk to about it, except your mother, obviously. <laughs> you called your mom. But that was a really interesting part of recruitment. Was you know, It's so social, but all of a sudden it's not for those five days. Yeah. It seems like, is it just kind of like a big blur? throughout the time or because I guess you can recall it pretty well but it seems like if it's going constantly I think overwhelming I can recall the division of the days based on the outfits that I wore (laughs) (laughs) that's another part of it like I was when I thought about it because I I went through it from the outside Mm -hmm. and I would see so many girls coming back that's like the financial aspect of it as well just the recruitment process alone like the expectation of the appearance, like hair, makeup. Some girls waking up at like 4.35 in the morning every day just to prep themselves to get ready. I'm not sure what it was like from the, the male perspective um, of fraternities. It but. was not like that at all. <laughs> we were like, so. be here at this time. We're like, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was something. You have five different days that you're going and five different specific outfits that they ask you to wear. So like one day, the first day, there is an SMU t-shirt. You're just supposed to wear any SMU t-shirt. There's one day that they give you a t-shirt. Like you're supposed to wear jeans. It gets fancier as the time goes on, which is really interesting. And then on the last day, you're wearing like 
leggings and a long sleeve white shirt. So you can throw on your, your Jersey at the end when you've run home, which is a funny phrase, but I do <laughs> like to use it that in touching on the appearance aspect of it, it is a lot of money to spend getting ready for just the recruitment process. You know, I, got my nails done. I got my hair done. I self-tanned. I bought some new makeup. I bought, I had new shoes every day. You know, it was an exciting thing. It was very exciting. And my parents were really supportive in it, which was great because they were excited for me. And so I enjoyed it. But like Will said, it's something I I probably don't want to do again, you know, as an adult woman at this point. (laughs) But yeah, the days did run together outside of what I was wearing. (laughs) There was a rule on campus this semester where girls weren't allowed to wear any sort of designer anything to any of the rush events. Whoa. What are your thoughts on that? Like, can you want to talk about the aspect of the designer and kind of separating the the class and and status as well? Yeah. I would absolutely love to talk about that. That is. I mean, I think that's a great rule. That's very, very interesting that they implemented that, especially at a place like SMU, where a name brand is recognized significantly from, you know, cars to trash cans, basically. Um, That is really interesting. That was another thing that with the outfits, when they give you such a structured fit, like when you're just wearing a T-shirt and jeans, the accessories was all that it was. Mm -hmm. You know, you were... You're not supposed to wear your coat inside the house also because your coat is a sign of, you know, wealth or status, whatever. But when it came to personalizing um, what you were wearing and kind of flaunting, quote unquote, that was what it was. I know that like I had a very nice Hermes bracelet that I made sure was on when I was doing it. And, you know, I don't consider myself super sorority. I don't feel like I'm 100% the image that you get when you think of a sorority girl. And I was still participating in, mm-hmm. in that aspect of showing a brand. But that is really interesting. It was like looking at the shoes, there was a lot of Gucci. There was a lot of, um, it was when I was doing it, it was 2019. So when do we know? I was doing it in 2020. I was doing it early 2020, but that was very big the Gucci belt was really in at the time. Mm-hmm. I had one at one point. <laughs> um, but that, I think that's a great rule moving forward. It's, I'm shocked, genuinely shocked, but I think it's a good rule. Yeah. So what was it like for you when you got to run home and like you received your bid in terms of like the fulfillment of that from like going through all of that mm-hmm. and realizing that you had achieved your goal basically. Yeah. That was so exciting. And, you know, for as many negative things as there are about Greek life, and there are negative things about Greek life, bid day, your bid day is one of the most exciting moments in life really. And I don't, I, I hate to say, compare it, you know, put it up in the top a couple of days in my lifetime, but it was a point in my life that I really needed to be a part of something. Mm -hmm. And here I was searching to find a place. And there was a house of women that wanted me. And knowing that and knowing that I had friends that were running home with me or that I was running home to, and that I was going to be a part of that. And I was going to put on that jersey. 
was really exciting. It was really exciting. And also my parents are divorced, <laughs> like very divorced, but they're divorced. Um, and they both were there and they got me some flowers with the mm. house colors and they took a selfie and sent it to me and said they were excited to see me run home. So it was just, a, it was a very joyous moment. It was a very, it was a very fulfilling moment. I do feel like I was both achieving a goal and being brought up into something that I, I hadn't been in before. Yeah. That's so nice that your parents were both there to support you. It was. Yeah. yeah. Did either of them, like had either of them rushed in college or did you have that kind of perspective going into it? Cause I mean like my mom, even my dad's an immigrant and my mom mm-hmm. didn't rush in college. So different people have different like, yes. knowledge going in. My mom, this was interesting because obviously I'm a woman. I was going into sorority recruitment. My mother was not involved in Greek life at all whatsoever. She was an RA on campus, which I mean, I also was. um, But I think at that point it was a stricter divide, especially at the school she attended. Um, But my dad was actually the president of his fraternity in college. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so when I told him my freshman year that I didn't want to go through the process, he was very adamant about convincing me to do it, saying that, it, you know, it's such a great opportunity. Like, you don't realize how much you benefit from it. Um, and I just thought, man, he doesn't see how tough it is because he's a boy and boys are different. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I did listen to him eventually and did the whole thing. So I had his input on it and he helped me a lot in terms of like getting recommendation letters from women that had been in sororities at SMU and connecting with people that knew what the process was, specifically women who had done it. Um, And getting that perspective was really beneficial. And so I don't think that I would have had the same experience that I had if my father was not a in a in a fraternity be the president of his fraternity. Got that extra intel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess because you had that Mm-hmm. previous knowledge and I mean I even remember back in high school like there were like rush coaches for girls that were seniors in high school mm-hmm. to prep them for all of this because there's so much you need for the pre-recruitment process like the recommendation letters mm-hmm. and the application and just like the formality like the paperwork side of it yeah. is there anything that you wish you knew going into that process or just recruitment in general that would have helped you I think I did have the benefit of pushing it off to sophomore year that I got to gather a lot of that information. But in terms of what you're talking about, I do wish I had known the extent that I to which I needed to work during the first semester of the year to have that payoff in the second semester. So because SMU does that delayed rush, there's a whole semester where you're not rushing, but you're always rushing, which is a very interesting concept because like I said, again, most schools, girls will get there the week before school starts and immediately go through the process. And there is some buildup over the summer and like things that you do, especially now with social media, you connect with people online, things like that. But because we have that delayed rush, the intention is that you have time to find yourself on campus. You have time to assert yourself in other places that isn't just Greek life, which is wonderful. And I do appreciate that. But with that extra time means there's more time for the houses to already know you. Mm. And so I do remember freshman year when I was still thinking about it, there was somebody that told me, do not, do not, whatever you do, get involved with any sophomore boys 
because that could be a sophomore girl's ex-boyfriend. And if you are messing with a sophomore girl's ex-boyfriend, she might not want you in her house. And so – Dang. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I was that, yeah. such a vivid memory of that at, <laughs> at Corral, at Mustang Corral, which is stampede now because I'm old, of somebody saying that. I just thought that was so funny. But I that is something that I wish I had known. And freshman year, part of the reason that I eventually decided not to rush, because I had gone to both of the required meetings and then the day before – you really needed to sign up. I said I wasn't going to do it. But one of the reasons that I decided I wasn't going to do it for sure was that I hadn't put that work in mm-hmm. over the semester and I didn't feel like I had made myself known enough. And you have to pay for that process to happen. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. And a lot of that is going out. A lot of the pre-recruitment recruitment is you know drinking and mm-hmm. going out to dinners. And I was 18 and not at a place that that was something that I wanted to do. And so I'm very happy with my timeline. My timeline was very great for me, but I, I wish I would have known the the fall semester, quote unquote, dirty rushing. That's what it was. Yeah, because there's like the rush dates and stuff. Yes. To kind of meet people, which is, is that, is there something about that, like not being allowed maybe? I don't Technically, know. you're not supposed to put the label, it's a rush date, but it's a rush date. If a sophomore mm-hmm. girl is taking a freshman girl out that she doesn't know, that's a rush date. And I I actually never did the other side of rush. So I went through recruitment. I did not facilitate recruitment as an active member because I was an RA and that was a conflict of interests. I did go on a couple of rush dates though. And that's a very interesting process because as a freshman, you feel so valued. You feel so excited that this older girl wants to take you to dinner or go get ice cream or go out one night. Um, but as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior, it feels more like I have to do this. This is a requirement that I have, um, which is an interesting – there is such a big change from your freshman year in Greek life to the rest of your time in Greek life. Um there are certain rules about these rush dates as well. Like a PNM or a potential new member cannot be in a active member's off-campus apartment. You can be in oh. dorms. You can be in dorms. You can be – they can drive you somewhere, but you cannot go to an off-campus apartment. I do think that that has to do with the potential of hazing off-campus. Mm-hmm. So I think it is a safety thing. But I thought that was a that was an interesting rule. So on the note of hazing, the problem of hazing on college campuses is completely almost tied to Greek life. So specifically like the Russian pledging process, what are your thoughts about hazing? And more importantly, universities are now trying to look at how can we foster that and how can we control that that doesn't happen? Or at least if it does happen, it's not to the level where it's like really an issue. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on that? I... I was lucky enough that I don't feel that I was hazed. I never was in a situation that I thought, if I don't do this, if I don't say this, if I don't drink this, I will be kicked out of this organization. I think that 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 was a really good thing to have. There were things that we did, things that I participated in that were like, we're hazing you. Not really. (laughs) And that was fun. And that was a fun thing. I think that hazing... It terrifies me. It scares me yeah. so badly. And, you know, here at SMU, I feel like we're lucky enough that there haven't 
been in recent years any deaths related to it, any injuries specifically, notable that the whole campus knows about. But I have, you know, read articles about other campuses where that ends poorly. And so again, it is a scary thing. I have, my cousin is in a fraternity at the University of Arkansas and he, when he was going through the pledge process, I remember him telling me like, I have to have cigarettes on me all the time. I have to have jewel pods on me. I have to drive everybody everywhere. You always have to have a 20 on you. Um, And I just remember saying like, how do you do that? Like, how do you clean the house? How do you take out the trash all the time? How do you pick people up at four in the morning when they need a ride? And he mentioned that it was something that he and the rest of his pledge class bonded over. And so there were these things that you had to participate in that bonded you together. I think that they cannot be hazing activities <laughs> that can bond a class. I know that- Especially illegal. Especially you know, yeah, illegal. People are underage and exactly. doing Exactly. Um, there doesn't need to be a level of danger for a class to be bonded. And like I said, when we participated in whatever rites or rituals we had, it was always a- you really don't have to do this if you don't want to. And that was a very clear understanding. Would you say specifically with sororities, the whole fear of like, once you've gotten the bid, Mm -hmm. there's really not something you can do to get kicked out. Whereas in a fraternity setting, you're kind of up until the point where you pledge after the six weeks of of pledge are done, only then are you really like guaranteed. You know what I mean? I I would definitely agree with that. I do Mm -hmm. think there are major differences between the sorority sorority recruitment process and the fraternity recruitment process because of that. Our big possibility week, our nervousness is that rush week, Mm. whereas the boys have six weeks Weeks. of pledging, of doing all of these tasks of, you know, this, that, and the other before they're initiated. I know my cousin at Arkansas, his was a semester, whether officially or not officially, it was a semester of them behaving in that manner to make sure that they were accepted into this group. Like I said earlier, it terrifies me. It makes me sad. But I do think there are things, activities that an organization like a Greek organization can do to garner that membership feeling, garner Mm -hmm. that I'm supposed to be here feeling without making it dangerous. It's also comes to the point where it's you know, you don't want to change it because all of the people who had to do it, mm-hmm. you know, the only way you kind of get over that is by making someone else do it. Yes. So it's like a cycle. You it's, know what I mean? You can't very... really say like, okay, we're not doing this anymore because then all the people who had to do it are mm-hmm. going to be like, well, that's not fair. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's definitely, it's harder than surface level to kind of get to the the happy medium. You're right. I do think that there have been major strides in making sure that whatever Greek organizations are doing are safer activities, that they are less bodily, you know, mm-hmm. you're not ingesting something, you're not eating something. My my favorite hazing activity that I've heard of is cleaning after a frat party. I think that I think See, that might, like that's a good fun. Exactly. Like, I think that's the that's perfect just annoying. activity. Yeah. That's just annoying. You're not gonna die. Yeah. It's just gonna be frustrating. See that I I think I wouldn't even want to call that hazing exactly. I think that that's one of those examples of something like this sucks and we're all in this together Mm -hmm. and it all sucks for all of us. Um, And that brings us together. 
as compared to like we're all going to be in this room or we're going to be thrown in a closet with a handle of vodka and you can't come out until it's gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the quote unquote hazing rituals that I participated in was not exactly hazing, but it was expected of all first year members to participate in sing song (laughs) with the sorority. (laughs) And so, um, that's, that's for fraternities too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. So you are expected to participate in this pageant of singing and dancing. And that is one of those things that it's like, we are, I felt so bonded to those people in that moment because every Sunday, I'm hungover and I'm at the gym dancing, you know, and I'm doing it with Natalie and Ashley and Sarah and it's wonderful. And we became friends in that manner. And I was lucky enough that one of my good friends, Meredith Lloyd, was actually in charge of it. So I got to see her um, do that as well. And it stuff like that, I think, is wonderful. It's more just wholesome fun and nothing to stress people over. And you'll actually remember that yeah, time instead exactly. of having to drink a whole handle of alcohol mm-hmm. and then you're blacked out yeah. and don't remember anything, don't remember how you got home. And there's that extra fear and stress that I think comes with the traditional hazing practices that is a universal emotion. And I think it just adds a layer of insecurity. And I think it e- could even break the trust of the people that you're joining the organization mm-hmm. with, you know, the, the, the upperclassmen that you feel this somewhat entitlement to prove yourself and prove your worth as a a pledging member of a group. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely more severe in the fraternities from my experience and what I've heard. Personally, I was pumped about Sing Song um, (laughs) being a voice major. I was like, oh my God, this is going to be the best. (laughs) And when I left, I was like, I'm letting my whole pledge class down. They were like, we have no shot now. (laughs) And I was like, I'm sure we'd be fine. I don't know how it turned out. But I agree with Catherine. I think it's more about trying to find those safe Mm -hmm. rituals that you can bring people together because that's really what the whole pledge process for fraternities is about is is being tight as a pledge class yeah there are ways to do that though in a safe manner that doesn't put people in uh, harm's way exactly i agree with that so now for the billion dollar question um as Catherine and i are both outside perspectives looking in Mm -hmm. to greek life it's easy for people to say that Greek life is designed for an elitist demographic, specifically affluent white people. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that Greek life should strive for more diversity? Or do you think that it's not a problem by diversity? It's more of a, you know, the people who are interested in joining the sorority um, all fall into one category. What are your thoughts on that? I This is a very loaded question. Um I think diversity is a major issue in Greek life. I think that you are right in the assumption that most people that are involved in Greek life in some way are affluent and white. That, for me personally, as a Hispanic woman going through the process, that was a major concern for me. Because like you said, is it something that it's just like-minded people that are joining these organizations and that's why they all kind of fit into the same category or is it they all fit into the same category and they're excluding people that don't right. look like they fit into that category. And that's not just based on like cultural background, but that could be your politics, mm-hmm. your financial status, all those. Yes. Yeah. 
I do think that from my experience, I didn't find that in the house I ended up in that my race was anything that hindered me, but I did worry about it going into the process. I Mm -hmm. did check in throughout the course of that first semester with other people of color and what they thought if they were in a house, how they liked it. I did also look at lots of group photographs on Instagram to see, you know, is there a head of dark hair in there? Is there someone that is non-white presenting? Is this going to be somewhere that I can fit in, that I will be accepted? I think that Greek life does need to focus on recruiting a little bit more diversity, but I also don't want that to go in the direction of recruiting based on diversity. Right. Yeah. Um, we don't want to fill quotas. Exactly. You yeah. know, the world is running into that problem now. Yes. Um, Just college admissions in general. Exactly. Too. Yeah. But, you know, this was a conversation we had within the house even. I do remember when we were doing Zoom chapter which, you know, that's a whole oh other gosh. aspect. Yeah. That's a the whole pandemic different thing. just changed everything, too. Yeah, exactly. That was, that's a, <laughs> a whole other conversation, that's, a whole different, that's another episode. Um, when we were having these Zoom chapters, to make it more interesting, you know, we would have conversations in a way that we could facilitate probably even better than we would at a normal chapter. Because normal chapter, it's once a week, it's your, you know, essentially club meeting for the fraternity or sorority. You just really get to go in and give updates. And every so often there'll be a speaker or something along those lines. But when there are no updates, there were a lot of times that we could talk about things that we wanted to change or wanted to see happen. And one of the conversations that we had is we had JJ. I cannot remember what her official title is. She came into one of our chapter meetings and talked a lot about diversity and how you can appeal to people outside of your own race or your own financial status. And that was a conversation that we did get to have very honestly and very openly with all the women in the house, which was great. I think it's a problem. I think that the financial disparity is also an issue because you know, you can't join an organization that costs $4,000 a year, a semester, whatever, if you don't have $4,000 to spend. And I think that's a really tough reality because that money is needed f- to run the house and needed to run the events. It's I understand why it costs right. that much, but it does present a barrier for yeah. people that, that can't pay for it. There are some scholarships, but they're few and far in between. So I, I think that there are steps being taken to make sure that diversity is is has a concern in each of these houses. I'm not sure that it will ever be representative of the actual population just because these are classically mm-hmm. white organizations, but I do think that it's it's moving in the right direction. It might be moving slowly, <laughs> but it's it's trying. I feel like I also want to bring up there are all black sororities mm-hmm. that are focused, you know, for, yes, for people in college, but also more of an outside of college thing too, where it's it's something that continues throughout the you, your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas standard Greek life that we're talking about on SMU's campus is kind of something that stops after your four years here. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question would be, 
do you think that's because the values in both different organizations are different? Whereas in the affluent white-based Greek life that we're talking about, it's all about social benefits for the time you're in college and mm -hmm. other sororities that exist. For example, all black sororities, which exist on the Panhellenic. No, that's y'all's. What is Panhellenic it? is the, it's... <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. Panhellenic is a weird word. <laughs> I but there's National Panhellenic Council, Panhellenic Council, Multicultural Greek Council, and then Interfraternity Council. Okay. I believe that I we are Panhellenic Council. National Panhellenic Council is historically black. Yes. Fraternities and sororities. Um, right. Mm -hmm. So, do you think those sororities are more like their values are more for? you know, professional development opportunities and building networks that exist outside of the college experience? I think that because race was such an excluder at the beginning of fraternities and sororities in, you know, the mid 1800s in the early 1900s, because that was such a divide, that was such an issue, these historically black fraternities and sororities banded together to focus on the benefits mm. that these white fraternities and sororities had. And I think that that culture has not changed as much right. as the culture sure. of historically white fraternities and sororities. It's a great answer. Yeah. That's I mean, answer. I think it's a really good point to the long history of these organizations has been exclusionary and they were founded upon just social norms mm -hmm. and legislation that was never updated for many decades after their creation. Mm -hmm. So there's that, I guess, pressure from within maybe to even maintain the historical values and continue that trend of exclusion, whether it's intentional or not. Mm -hmm. And then even from like looking from the outside in, like the diversity is like among like there's there's so much with like social media and like how you people present mm -hmm. on online with like status even like body image mm -hmm. is a huge mm -hmm. other problem like i know colleges like a everyone's bodies are changing too and so there's like the, all that aspect of that as well there's also so many universities around the country that have developed anti-greek mm -hmm. movements on their campuses they want to completely abolish greek life or have them be completely overhauled on their campus to reflect a greater diversity of the student body or things like that. What are your thoughts on the anti-Greek movement? Anti-Greek stuff. Yeah. I think the people that are involved in the anti-Greek movement have valid concerns and are completely reasonable in their approach to why they want to get rid of these organizations. I do think that the groups are seen as troublemakers, as big partiers, as this, that, or the other negatively. I do think that there are major benefits to being involved in one of these organizations. And if and when most organizations can return to hopefully regain that reputation of being somewhere that you can network, being somewhere that you have a house on campus, being somewhere that you have, you know, some sort of solace, a group that is, you know, bound together rather than well, this fraternity goes to these clubs and this mm -hmm. fraternity, and this sorority parties with this fraternity. If that image could be lessened or eradicated, I think the anti-Greek movement would not be as strong. I do think that the anti-Greek movement as a whole is anti 
all of the negatives of Greek life. And I think most people in Greek life would agree that those negatives are bad, that that's not a great thing. I think that they are organizations that are good at their core in terms of connecting people, in terms of, again, networking. It's I've met so many people. It's crazy. But I do think that it's a, it's a valid approach. Anti-Greek is a valid approach, unfortunately. And that's an upsetting thing to reckon with. Yeah. I feel like there's so many instances. I mean, this semester alone, I don't know how many Greek organizations got in trouble or like now mm-hmm. are under formal review yeah. for incidences with hazing or other, I guess, like violations of Mm -hmm. the code of conduct and things like that. And then, I mean, SMU even has a controversial history of Greek organizations that is even very recent in terms of like sororities and fraternities getting kicked off. Mm -hmm. Or like, I mean, the we have the Zeta house that's just sitting abandoned because Mm -hmm. of however many years we have left on that ban. It's just, it's owned by the national chapter and we can't even use that property because it's... It's yeah. not – it doesn't belong to the university. I think the the issues within Greek life and the reasons that these fraternities and sororities are being punished or kicked off or whatever it may be comes down to the individuals in the houses. Mm. You know, this is seen as a all of Greek – this is seen as a black and white issue in that all Greek behaves like this, all Greek acts like this and all non-Greek doesn't, isn't participating, things like this. But I do think that there is nuance in the fact that it is specific bad people doing bad things. And because there is a Greek title to the organization that they're in, it does get more attention. It gets a worse reputation when this is happening. You know, this could be happening on the swim team or in, you know, any sort of other organization. But because it is Greek, it is seen, there is that anti-Greek movement. I think it would be better represented as an anti-hazing movement or an anti, you know, social inequality movement. Uh, There are a lot of different ways to phrase it. I do think that, that it is, it is something that can be mended within the individual houses. But unfortunately it is the reality that (laughs) the title of having a Greek name is a headline it's a grabber i think it has in terms of like talking more like solutions now i guess one part of it could be you know just like having those standards in their bylaws Mm -hmm. and setting a precedent or it also i think comes from a lot of the issues stem from a lack of supervision Mm -hmm. from either a university or a chapter representative it's completely it sounds like it's completely student operated and for the most part at least for the most part yes there are chapter advisors which are typically older graduates that have been involved with that specific sorority or fraternity for sororities for sure i'm not exactly sure how the fraternities work but i do know that you know universities are getting more involved and i think they should i think they should be keeping a closer look on everything that's going on and that is something that hasn't happened in the past probably because a lot of the people that are in the Greek system end up in positions of power in positions that they can continue the way things were. And I think now with a major social uplift or up, uprising is not the word I want to use, but a major social shift, especially in 2020 with the Black Lives Matter protests and things like that, there's more attention to putting diverse people in positions of power And those people are focusing on things like the issues in Greek life, whereas beforehand it wasn't as addressed, really. 
you know, looking back on your comment about specific individuals being mm-hmm. responsible, to me, I'm thinking that kind of explains why different fraternities or sororities have different kind of perspectives depending mm-hmm. on the campus. Because I know like at SMU, we say like, oh, these this specific fraternity and this specific sorority are known as like our big party sororities. Whereas you'll go to another college campus and be like, oh, that's our best behaved one. Like we have no problems with them. Yeah. You know, so it it's not about the organization itself. It's about the people in, that um, specific in the specific house yeah. and what they, you know, why they're ultimately there. Mm-hmm. If you have a group of students who are only there because they want the social benefits and they want, you know, just an excuse to go out all the time, then that's what the house is going to represent. Yes. If you have a group of students who are joining it, yes, to have fun and to experience some of those things same um have those same experiences but also want to use it as a way to develop themselves and meet people and network you know with sorority it's a philanthropy is a big um aspect of that too then that's when you get the houses that really represent what is good in greek life Mm -hmm. and you don't have issues with them so it is interesting to think about you know, the anti-Greek movement can't say it's Greek life in general because it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a specific division or a specific Greek organization within Greek life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about each individual campus and ultimately the students that end up choosing that house. Exactly. I, I fully agree with that comment 100%. I do think that each house is nuanced. I think it is very specific. My sister was in the same sorority that I was at a different university. She went to the University of Oklahoma and was in the same sorority. And we had vastly different experiences and met vastly different people. And that, you know, speaks to one, the schools that we chose, we go to, she went to a state institution. I'm at a private, was at a private institution, goodness gracious, (laughs) but also to the specific people that are joining that house with the same name as the house I'm in, but with completely different values and ideals and things like that. So you could even argue that there's your diversity. That's, it's I not, mean, that's you true. know, it's yeah. not within the house, but it's with, there's something to say about as soon as you show your Greek letters, no matter where you were, you're like, I have something in common with you. Mm-hmm. And that's what Greek life fosters is we can put a title on a group of people that may not represent something diverse in any specific location but when Mm -hmm. you look you know nationally maybe it is yeah it's it's such a it's such a nice thing to have a group it's such a nice thing to have a group especially when you're 18 years old and you're off to college by yourself I played soccer my whole life I always played on a team and so regardless of what was going on with my friends or regardless of what was happening at school I always had a team to go to and we were joined by you know this force of wanting to do well um and i didn't have that when i started school and so finding it in greek life was so exciting and seeing that as an adult in my postgrad you know still affecting me still being something that i can point to and say this is a group that i'm in this is a group that i've met people who are in and we can say hey What's up, right. sister? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's an exciting thing. It's a, it's a, it's a great thing. And you know, there are benefits to having the same title. I, I babysit a lot, and some of the ladies that I babysit for, I only have the job because I was <laughs> in the same house that they were, which is exciting and fun. Um, it, it, it's, it's nice to have a title, even if it is Greek and people don't like it. You know. Yeah. I think it's unfortunate that we really only hear about Greek life 
on the public scale or like from a media perspective mm-hmm. in a negative lens yeah like that it's not all bad and that there are the positive social benefits that I would assume the majority of members experience yeah. or if they don't then they end up leaving the organization or choosing a different path mm-hmm. and it's not it doesn't have to be a one-size-fits-all you know I feel, I feel like universities are also making a lot of progress in terms of providing non-Greek opportunities and outlets for students to feel like they belong. And I think SMU has also done just a great job of that. I mean, we have hundreds of student organizations that I have found so much fulfillment in and Mm -hmm. I'm not even involved in Greek life. Yeah. And it may seem like what almost like 45% of the student body is involved in Greek life, but you don't need that constant yeah presence or you don't need to be involved in that to feel like you can belong yeah the school that was that was something that I I really liked about pushing off my recruitment is that I was able to find those other opportunities and then decide I wanted to join an additional you know club really and add on to my plate because SMU has so many different organizations to get involved in I I had a place it wasn't as I I wouldn't say it was as bonded as like just the title of having a Greek organization, but I was able to get that experience before deciding to fully go through with the recruitment process. And, you know, truth be told, I was not super involved in my sorority. I didn't ever hold a title because of the whole being an RA. I didn't do the other side of Rush. So I did find a lot of my fulfillment and engagement in just my student organizations with student foundation or with my job as a tour guide, you know, whatever, as an RA, there were other places for me to gain that, that sense of belonging. It wasn't as snap and quick in place as Greek life is, but it, it is possible to be fully happy and excited about school and not be in a Greek organization for sure. Yeah. I think it added to my college experience. I don't think it was the end-all be-all of my college experience. And I think that can maybe be applied to all of Greek life. If you care a little less, <laughs> it's, <that's>, right. <laughs> it's not as crazy as you think. I will say the social experience of Greek life is the main draw. And and that's okay. It's <laughs> I think it's fine to want to join a social group. Obviously, I joined a social group. I think that philanthropy philanthropy is a major pillar of specifically sororities i'm not so sure about i know fraternities do have their own thing but sororities it's a pretty big pillar one of the days in the recruitment process is called philanthropy day and you go in and you talk about what specific philanthropy this organization helps out there are a lot of hands-on events with things like that getting service hours is something i know in my house we had to have a certain amount of service hours per semester where we'd be put on probation, we'd be fined, we'd get in trouble. So there were there were fundraisers and there were activities to go to to participate in that. So on the philanthropy side, I think that that is a pretty heavy influence. It's pretty valued outside of the social aspect as the social aspect is definitely number one. And I will be the first to admit that. I think philanthropy is right up there. But I also do think that educationally, the organizations are very involved. They want their students to be good representatives of the university. So we had in my house had a rule, if your GPA was below a certain point, you had to attend study hours and that was required. And we, if you look across the board, on average, Greek organizations have a higher GPA than non-Greek as a whole, which I think can be 
contributed to lots of things, you know, wealth and class being one of them, but also the focus on those study hours, making sure that you are accounted for at least every Monday night, you know, you know where you are, you have a place to go study. People would go and do, you know, study groups at the house. It was nice to be able to do that. It was nice to have a quiet place. There's reading rooms and things like that. I think that generally when people assume that Greek life is just social-based, that is incorrect. It's mostly social-based, but there are these incredible benefits of participating in philanthropy and, you know, having having a base of support for your education and things like that. But they're all important. I think that I think that they're all important aspects of the whole great organization. That's awesome. So I guess just as a kind of to sum up the whole interview, tell us about how Greek life and your Greek organization specifically helped you achieve your goals while on campus, post-graduation, and kind of how it helped you get to where you are today. Yeah. I think obviously the biggest benefit I had from it was on campus when I was, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old, didn't know anybody, meeting people. That was it changed my life fundamentally, which I don't say lightly because it really did. It was, I went from, you know, knowing people and talking to people to spending time with people and going and doing things and, you know, being able to say, well, you know, so-and-so is in this organization with me. I can just call them and maybe they'll come with me. And it gave me a lot more confidence to being able to get behind, you know, certain colors or letters or whatever. It, gave me a sense of belonging and I was more confident. I think that was my my biggest benefit, my biggest impact from the Greek aspect of my life. In my life post-grad, obviously it's been less, but I have been able to point to that in job interviews. I've been able to point to it on my resume and say, I have this experience. I have philanthropy experience. I was involved in this way on campus and being able to say you were in an organization on campus means one thing. Being able to say that you were in a Greek organization means another thing to somebody that also was in a Greek organization. So one of my current bosses was in a sorority at the University of Oklahoma. And that is something that even when I was interviewing and I said, well, you know, I was in a sorority, we connected on. So she wasn't in the same house that I was, but we still had that in common. So it was really nice to be able to fall back on that as a connector. So I, and I I will say this hasn't happened to me yet. I've stayed in the Dallas area, but I do know people that have really benefited from alumni groups, specifically when they, you know, you move across country, you don't know anybody. What can you turn to? Your sorority alumni group. And you're going to have a group Mm -hmm. of women that have something in common with you, even if it is just in title. Um, It's people that you can meet. It is a, it's a resource to have. Like I said, I babysit for other women that were in the same house. It's obviously the impact is not as strong following graduation, but it's still, it has affected me in life. And I also, I do think that I learned a lot of great things from it. I was very, I I have always been an outgoing person, but I was able to put myself in slightly more uncomfortable positions and talk and things like that um, because of that with more confidence. So I, I really think that it was a positive experience on me. Overall, I think it's a positive experience if you, you know, try to avoid the major headlines of bad apples in different houses. <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's a good thing to have. There are things that can be improved and should be improved, 
but I, I liked my time and on campus in a Greek organization and I've, I've enjoyed it post-grad as well. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Adelaide, for coming on the podcast, for sharing your experience. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I mean, I learned so much just like getting the inside candid scoop. The inside scoop. Now we know. Now we know all that goes down. There you go. That's all of it. There's nothing more. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. such an informative was conversation. I learned so much. It's nice to hear from someone who's gone through the whole process and is now on the outside of it. Right. They She had so much perspective on just the whole side. And I bet it was even great for her too, just to kind of like to revisit it on all of that. and not feel like, you know, she had to not say some things because she's still a part of a group. Yeah. I feel like that's going to be great for people to hear. And we really weighed a lot of pros and cons. I think we landed in a place where we saw that Greek life was ultimately a very positive experience for her, but also for all the students that go through the that go through a Greek house. Perhaps there are some things that need to change. There isn't everything to incorporate diversity. You know, the conversation that we had on hazing, which was very relevant. But overall, I think that we learned that people have a very positive experience and it's definitely something that you can carry with you after your college career ends. Yeah. And it really just seems like it, it is unfortunate kind of to just bring that home, that point home again with the media really focusing on the negatives of Greek life. I feel like there's really never an opportunity to learn about the benefits of it. And it's nice to kind of to gain that perspective a little bit. Absolutely. You know, that's the case with anything. I really loved when she talked about how, you know, these types of things, the hazing, maybe not hazing, but negative things happen in any organization that exists. There's always some kind of you know, scandal that's happening. But, Mm -hmm. you know, her point about just because Greek letters are attached, it puts it under almost an entire new microscope. There's the automatic Um, assumption that it is related to the negative aspects of Greek life. And so I think it's important for our audience and for people who are kind of looking into the Greek opportunities to separate those negative things from the Greek uh, Greek title. Because negative things happen in all organizations and specifically it's not necessarily the specific house or the fact that it's greek that is the main outcome of so what happens so yeah and if you guys at home listening have any thoughts please write to us we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode if you have a different experience with greek life or if you just have any additional thoughts or questions about the process or anything we talked about today we'd love to hear from you so please write to us at chronicallyoncampus at gmail.com yes and thank you so much adelaide again for coming on the podcast we enjoyed having you here talking to you had a lot of fun we hope you enjoyed your time and we hope that the audience loves listening to it yeah thanks again for listening and we will see you guys next week bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Chronically on Campus. Our podcast is produced and edited by Will Emmert and Katherine Ramsey. Our music is by Jake Dixon. Follow Chronically on Campus on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Write to us at chronicallyoncampus at gmail.com.